Welcome to the Reactive Podcast, episode 100. This is the podcast in which we map, filter, and reduce streams of mostly development-related thoughts into audio form. My name is Khalil Ashelt, and with me is my formidable co-host, Henning Gladagotz. How are you today, my friend? <laughs> I am exhausted, but I am highly caffeinated, so I'll be talking very fast, likely. Um, I hope it makes sense. Um, how are you? <laughs> I'm tired. I'm going to be talking slow. So. Okay. No caffeine for you, huh? <laughs> well, it's late at night here, so yeah, that's true. Problem. Well, for me, it's for me, it's four o'clock, and I yeah, I had my last one about two hours ago. So <laughs> right, right, and that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes I drink see. coffee at four in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's been it's been uh, quite a lot today because um, the little one had nightmares and. She was up every hour, sort of between 2 and 6 a.m., so yeah, it was fun. Wow. Do you have to walk her then, or what do you have to do? No, she's she's usually okay, but she calls, and then, of mm -hmm. course, you know, my wife and I are both awake, and then we decide who goes, and then usually she has a preference as to whom she wants to be, <laughs> you know, comforted by, and then there's like... Uh, that person has to go because otherwise she'll have a meltdown and she's okay. two by the way so, right, right you know it's very interesting um but it's cute and um yeah so you, you know you hold her a bit give her whatever she wants as far as you know water or something and then mm -hmm. she'll sleep and okay so no there's no walking she's past that stage she can she can handle it. but okay you know it's still you wake up and if you do that once an hour for half the night that sucks so. yeah that sucks that disrupts your sleep quite quite a bit <laughs> all right well what, what what's 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 going on in your in your uh life uh otherwise Otherwise, it's been uh, lots and lots and lots of work. Um, it really has been a, a huge push. Um, it's been way busier than usual, and there's many reasons for that. But one of them is that we finally released our first site on our unified web platform that I've been talking about quite a bit on the show. And basically, we, we got our first and smallest site out. It's the sort of the least risky one if something were to go wrong. So if we have a little mishap or something, it's not going to impact revenue drastically. Um, mm -hmm. We've had a few little hiccups, uh, but nothing nothing major. So we, we picked that site for that reason. And um, it's gone overall really, really well. And uh, if anyone wants to go and take a look and see what I've been talking about, it's called uh, paceedwardsdirect.com. And uh, we'll put that link in the show notes. But essentially, this is a very small site that sells a limited number of products for trucks. And um, I think there's a total of 16 actual products. At least that's what it looks like to someone that would come and look at the site. Um, under the hood, basically, that resolves to 675 individual SKUs. So it's still not a lot, but it's way more than it appears. Mm. And the reason for that is the um, the whole situation where basically... You know, a specific part um, exists in different variations or slight different variations and has different SKUs or part numbers for different models of trucks. So we have this this problem. It's actually a really interesting computer science problem just to sort of recap. is basically we don't have like, you know, other retailers, for example, in fashion where you have a shirt that might come in, you know, a certain set of colors and then a certain set of sizes, you know, I don't know large, medium, small, or something like that. And that's about it. In our particular case, it's more like um, the visitor has a certain brand of truck. So it could be, you know, a Ford 
and then uh, some kind of make. So that let's say it's an F one fifty. That's our favorite little test thing. Um, and let's say it's you know it's a twenty fifteen model. So that model actually differs from one maybe in you know two thousand and one, and it might not fit the same kind of product um, for all of the different year make model combinations. So. One of the, the big, big challenges on our end is to basically have a visitor come in and specify what vehicle they would like to shop for and then present the site to them with the products that actually apply to them because they, they wouldn't be interested in something that fits on a completely different vehicle. Um, they don't want to see that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's useless because you can't buy it, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's one of the big, big challenges and the thing that we've – worked very hard on making super performant. So what you can go and fiddle around with basically is go and go and select a, a year make model and then play around with the facets on the on the left hand side. So select different price price ranges or different materials and stuff like that. And just see how fast it is. And it's actually to me at least, um when you click on that, it almost seems like it's I mean, it is a single-page app, but it almost seems like all of that stuff is happening, like in the browser, with local data. But it's not. It's actually API round trips, and it's it it basically builds the product catalog that fast. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you could argue, well, it's only 600 you know actual products and or SKUs, so it's not that big of a deal. Yes, that is true. But I I believe that we can um, we will demonstrate that that is. Um, just as performant with with larger data sets, hmm. so that that'll be one of the the maybe not challenges, but one of the things we need to need to prove. Um, so yeah, so that's um, basically what we've been doing. We've been having a huge huge push um, with very aggressive deadlines um, to get that uh, pushed out. So that's another kind of reason I'm a little tired. <laughs> right. Okay. And do, do you want to give a little roundup of what you're using um, in the back there? Because you were using was some interesting details like uh, a lot of Amazon services and also this search. Um, yes, thing. Algolia. So um, yeah. Algolia is uh, I don't know. I've said it before. It's all around really, really nice. It's a great developer experience too. Everything is API driven. They have fantastic utilities. Um, to do various things. You can basically script out the whole um, process of deployment or, or provisioning, etc. So that's what we use for uh, search, and um, that's what provides the faceting and also the, um, the controls that basically allow a visitor to select a year make model. Because there's another thing in there, right? When you, so you have these three, it's actually four drop-downs because bed length on a pickup truck is also important um, depending on the kind of product you want to put on there. So mm-hmm. once you select the first thing, that influences the result set of the second drop-down. And then that, that influences the one of the third, et cetera, et cetera. So that is also powered by Algolia mm-hmm. and is ridiculously fast. Um, and that's also, you know, something that Algolia does very nicely, um, pretty much almost out of the box. I mean, we, we do our, we do some magic there with, with our Lambda APIs, but it's, there's a lot of support for this type of stuff, uh, from Algolia. And then of course the site search is, um, uh, powered by Algolia as well, which is, 
we we've, we gave that sort of spiel in, in in a lot of our presentations, you know, to basically say, well, it took us 30 minutes to implement site search because it kind of comes with a package, right? Mm-hmm. As, yeah, as yeah. soon as you load all your product data and your images and everything into Algolia, it basically builds or it, it, it gives you a, a search widget that, you know, works with images and everything. And it even has um, the ability to handle synonyms. So if you have, if you know that people mistype certain things frequently, you can put synonyms in for that. Mm-hmm. So that when they mistype the the search word, um, it still has a perfect hit. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so that, that's sort of the, one of, one of my, uh, target systems to load data into. Mm. And then um, the whole concept of the site, I guess, is that we, we pre-build everything. There's no, there's no relational database queries. Everything is pre. It's like a build step to get the site deployed. Mm-hmm. And whenever we have data updates, it's, it's pretty much that again. Mm. So we, we basically read all content out of... Um, a content cache that is built on uh, DynamoDB, which is also beautifully fast. On top of that sits Lambda. Mm. And um, that's sort of the majority of what powers the actual the site. Then there, of course, the part that is the hard part. Well, I'm not, I don't want to diminish anyone's work, of course. But, but the thing that is hard is basically to get a continuous flow in place where you have, you know, from your product management system continuously data flowing into the site and everything being updated mm-hmm. in a synchronous manner um, because we have about 10 different targets that we have to update in sync. Mm-hmm. They're not all completely in sync, but a lot of them are because you have to think about, well, we put images out there, we put um, content, then we have to update the search index, we pull stuff from CMS. Um, so quite a quite a bundle of stuff that has to get moved from the source to the target which is of course the back end for the website so that's uh that's primarily what i was uh dealing with and we're still we're still hard at work at that but Mm -hmm. it's to a point where we can actually support um the site obviously since it's since it's live so um so yeah so that's um in in very broad strokes i guess the stack and and we've talked about this in the past but it's it's been amazing to see how fast you can put something ultra performant together with off-the-shelf technologies that you could just never build on your own in any kind of remotely similar time frame yeah. with, a t- with a team our size. It's just, you know, yeah. it's, it's no chance in hell. It's, so. uh, it's pretty amazing that you, that you can easily deal with, uh, especially, you know, the, the amounts of data that you're dealing with. And then if you're going to roll it out to all the other sites, there's going to be like a multitude of sites that all get fed out of that same data source or yep, basically. Pretty much. Right. right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so the, crazy. yeah, the data originates in three, four, four different systems. The, the main one being actually contentful. Um, talked mm-hmm. about that quite a bit yeah. as well. So we, we have a team that deals with, you know, for example, the banners, right? The banners that, um, are across the top of the site and different different places on the site. They are created and managed by um, the content team mm-hmm. or marketing team, actually. And they have the ability to basically schedule content. So we created the system where in, in, in Contentful, you can create a content entry of a specific type and you'd give it a start and an end date time 
And our system will basically figure out when that needs to be baked into the site and pushed live and then taken down again or replaced, depending on what, what the situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, we can you know rotate stuff in and out, and it can be scheduled into the future <clears throat> as well. So that was an interesting challenge. But again, Contentful, one of those things where has an amazing developer experience. I mean, it's really, I, I don't know, it's great. I mean, it has, it, it's a CMS basically that has the notion of, um, you know, draft and publish. So that works beautifully for staging and production. So anything that a person, you know, with the proper authority publishes gets pushed to the live site. And anything mm-hmm. that is sort of saved continually in draft mode gets pushed to the staging site so that mm-hmm. people can basically right away evaluate what they've done by looking at it on the site. I mean, right away is minutes um, Mm. at the moment. We'll probably get it down to a little less than that. Um, And so that goes for, you know, content as well as far as text basically on the About Us page. So if somebody wanted to go change that, they're just going to Contentful, change it, and hit Publish, and it will be pushed to the proper site. Um, so each site has its own space in Contentful. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we can we can offload all the management of that kind of stuff uh, out of development and um, into the hands of the people that actually need to do that, want to do that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it works nicely. And then uh, what else? Yeah, then we have a similar situation with product data, basically. We have a team that is, you know, merchandising. They deal with uh, adding new products, disabling products, modifying them, adding new images, etc. And it's a similar thing there that basically changes get batched up and pushed to the site mm-hmm. in, in certain intervals. <clears throat> and then, you know, deployed, essentially. It's like we're deploying a new site mm-hmm. in intervals constantly, mm-hmm. so... It's been yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's been it's been stressful, but um, I think uh, yeah, overall it's been extremely fun. It's been a ton of learning, and um, yeah, learning by you know having successes, but also by goofing things up and mm-hmm. um, just coming to some good realizations. You know, it's like um, I think the biggest thing for me is sort of just like being pragmatic and and um, compromising on things because i think the thing that i've realized what you know i shouldn't really be coding so I, i'm supposed to be my, my title is director of backend technology so I, I really don't have any business coding mm-hmm. at least in many other organizations i would not be a person that that writes code on a daily basis but for this project i actually have um okay. and there, there's 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 reasons for that, right? There's there's um, company business constraints, team size constraints that we can't change right away, but the business requires that we do this. So it's like, is it ideal? No, because all my other responsibilities suffer from it. Mm-hmm. Um, short, so long term, it's you know it's not sustainable, obviously, but in the short term, yes, it's kind of you know things turn into a bit of a shit show, but it's doable, in my opinion. Um, maybe not everyone would agree, but. Um, it was necessary, and it 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 allowed us to push this product out. So, um, so what I mean by this is basically being pragmatic. You know, we we had a ton of constraints. You know, the business had certain expectations for deadlines, um, which you know you can argue are not. Um, <laughs> 
well, let's put it just this way. They're very aggressive, right? So they require a bit um, more um, <laughs> above and beyond the normal workload, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, But the reason for that is, is you know, it's, it's not the companies, I think at least in many cases, not the companies that put out the perfect, polished, best thing. It's usually the ones that get a good thing out first and then can acquire you know, a, def- a decent customer base and, and make money and then they go and, uh, you know, improve upon things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard, you know, many tech leaders uh, tell me sort of the same same thing um, in, in various conference talks. And so I never kind of realized this when my sole responsibility was development because it's like, I'm a developer. I'm going to do this the right way. I have to do this, you know, the way... It's proper and it, it has to, you know, it has to be perfect. I, I mean, I guess that's kind of silly, but you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. so it has mm-hmm. to be the way it is honorable in my craft to put out code. You know, I don't want to yeah. do crap, right? Yeah, yeah. But then once you, once you get into the position where you have to make decisions for lots of other people and you have this other pressure from another side, mm-hmm. you start to make compromises, right? And it's it's kind of icky at first. I guess that's this what I sort of had to get over um, is that, you know, you're not always doing the best thing technically. And, and I'm saying this because I actually had this conversation with one of my team leads who was sort of arguing, um, you know, valid argument that we're not doing this the way it should be done for this specific thing, right? And I'm like, well, but that's okay for now because it enables us to get this product out in front of people by it being out quickly <clears throat> and first yeah. or early, we get it, it's exercised, right? Your code is getting exercised, so it's valuable to do that, even if it's not perfect, because it will teach you lessons, and you can improve upon that. And if you had spent, you know, another two weeks, another month, or two months polishing that thing, not really even knowing that that's really what's important in production. I think the other way around is is a lot more useful. At least that's what I've come to sort of um, yeah, but, accept or figure out. But okay. a big but there yes. is that if you say for now, but you don't mean it, then <laughs> that's a real problem. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because I, I totally agree. Right, it's okay. the technical debt problem, right? You accrue technical debt. You wanna you say okay, want to test this out. We want to get this out quickly. Totally agree that that is a totally doable thing and it, it makes sense in many cases, but it, it seems to be a very hard uh, feat for a lot of companies to actually then go back and get rid of the technical debt or at least start working at it. Yep. And it scares me to death. But <laughs> <laughs> so I've um, I've sort of I have a I have a, a developer sort of working on a I I won't well obviously since I'm saying it here it's, it's not a stealth task but um, is basically already starting to do refactoring and I have assigned time in the sprint to do that and he's going cool. to do that and cool. you know so it's like <laughs> so I I know here's the weak spots this is where we sort of you know, rush over things. This is what you need to focus on. Please fix my mess. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, kind of like, yeah. So that, that's what I, that's at least my intent. And, um, I, I know what you're saying and I, 
I know that because it has happened to me in the past. Yeah. And it is the age old thing, like, yeah, we'll come back and fix it later. And yeah, yeah it never happens. I, it I get to be that. prioritized. But but I think it's I think it's good that that somebody like you is is there in, in the in the lead because um you do very much understand how important it is to do that and how also it's it it, it and how it's also economically important for the company. I think that is something that many companies or many uh, people in leadership positions maybe don't understand how important it is to have uh, well-organized code um, so that you can move fast uh, yes. long-term, right? And actually um, make money for the company by building features or whatever, right? And not exactly. destroying your application while you're building features basically yeah yeah and i know you know probably tons of people were like cringing oh my god you're crazy but the thing is like we we do have a decent amount of of testing in place automated testing the whole thing is on on circle ci so that can it be better absolutely it always can it's never finished right but it's right. like i feel comfortable with where we're at mm. and i i i feel conf confident that we can we can not let it spiral out of control, I mm -hmm. guess, is what I, I hope I'm able to walk that, that line. I, I'll report back. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's, here's the thing, right? It's, we're competing with Amazon. Yeah, like exactly. Literally, like literally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. You know? they, yeah. They're doing this. They actually sell a ton of our products already, and they are right. learning. We can tell because we're watching them. <laughs> right. They're learning how to do this specific you know, automotive problem, right? Mm -hmm. And eBay is another mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And here we are with our 30 devs, you know, <laughs> trying hey, to, uh, to but, get somewhere, but you know? That's funny because when you were talking about the site and, and, and I actually, while you were talking about it, I was visiting the site and I looked at it and I was clicking around and I configured a car and all that stuff. Um, I felt like this is really cool because you use these tools from Amazon And also Algolia <laughs> to create a site that is that is able to actually compete with Amazon, and it, it yeah. is able to compete with Amazon because it's so fast, right? Yes. <clears throat> I mean, maybe <clears throat> Amazon, of course, has some other uh, some other things where you might want to go with them because Amazon Prime or whatever, you know, all these things that you, you just buy everything at Amazon or whatever. But I mean, just from the from the performance point of view and from the handling of the site, the handling of the site is even a little nicer or is, I mean, that's not necessarily difficult to be nicer than Amazon. But the point is that to, 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 to have an e-commerce site that is just as quick and just as fluent feeling and all that stuff as Amazon, I think nowadays is if you want to compete, if you want to be successful, you have to like it's 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 a minimum requirement that you at least match the speed yeah. kind of that yeah. Amazon brings to the table, and you're doing that, so that's great. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you noticed that. I mean, that is one of our biggest, um, and I guess the thing we're we're most proud of. It's like. I mean, the big test will be when we have the the site up that has like four hundred thousand SKUs. <laughs> so we'll yeah, see. yeah, yeah, totally. But um, but uh, you know, it's it's extremely snappy, and and again, with a small team put together with um, off the shelf technologies, and yes, of course, Amazon has a lot of advantages. But one thing that you know 
their um, their speed or handling is is not quite there. But that again, they're selling everything. We're doing something highly, highly specialized. So we have we have the luxury to focus on a specific thing, whereas they need to cater to like a really broad spectrum of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it's much harder, obviously. Um, but then again, they have, I don't know, thousands of people working on it. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's a whole different yeah. story, yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, one other thing. So so when we launched this thing, which was like at, um, I don't know, sometime at night, um, I I was the one that made the first purchase on, on the site so yeah. as a test. Yeah, and I had never actually done this. And this is another thing that I want to sort of talk about is like how I have sort of come to see more of the front end because I realized that I've really, really sort of totally lived like down in the caves dealing with yeah. with back end stuff, which obviously is my job. But it it is actually really beneficial when you're working on a project like this that you know what's going on on the other end. So mm-hmm. I have embraced that. And and anyway, so the the, the checkout experience is is amazing, like. The right. team, the team did like really, really amazing, amazing work. It's mm-hmm. super, super, super um, uh, streamlined and clean and just easy, like super easy to get out. And I think awesome. it has these, um, you know, features in there from Google with the address. Uh, um, oh yeah, that it basically, basically their address API that it suggests yeah. a whole bunch just drops in half of what you yeah, do, yeah, and it's yeah, like. Yeah. That's awesome. Like, damn. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. Very nice. So, I was impressed by that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a good site. Definitely good e-commerce yeah. site. Yeah, for sure. It's great. Thank you. That's our, it's the little one. Yeah, so, congratulations. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Anyway, that's what's going on here. How, yeah. about, how about you? <laughs> that was a lot. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's great to celebrate the success. And, and and I'm very fascinated. I must say, I'm very I'm very interested in how you your gut like how you piecing all that together. The content from Contentful. You have these different APIs that you're talking to using uh, lambdas for the API, using Algolia API, and it's just kind of it feels like it's just like a bunch of different services and APIs. Like they're like the 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 back end is it's kind of uh, you know how typically. Um, Years ago, when I was in, uh, or also in, in my current job or whatever, like the back end always feels very monolithic, and it's like mm-hmm. people working on one Spring Boot Java thing or whatever, right? And has yeah. Monster yeah. and has and has an API, and like it feels, like, and it's running on a few servers, and it feels like this heavy thing, monolithic. It kind of, yeah. That's how it yeah, it looks in my yeah. it's a beast in my head and then yeah and what you guys are doing uh, and girls is is like uh, yeah just this, you have this fractured backend that yeah is our like, site is hosted on out of an S three bucket that's it yeah <laughs> right it's just a static site right yeah yeah it's a static site <laughs> and it just talks to all these APIs it's it's uh, exactly it's yeah yeah. yeah. It's a bit of job, not to poo-poo anybody's stuff or diminish it again, but it's it's just a bunch of JavaScript that gets loaded from a S3 bucket. Yeah, (laughs) that's so awesome though, and it's and you're really using. You figured out what are the right tools for the job, and you got, um, you got, you just piece them together, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this has been probably two two years in the making, really. I mean, in 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 mostly my boss's head, but he's sort of. 
we've had um, sort of design powwows over the last two years frequently. And mm-hmm. it's really been amazing to see this come from, I, I remember some of our first whiteboard drawings and now it's freaking live and it works, <laughs> you know, it's, it's awesome. very cool. Yeah. yeah you did it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, um, so does PHP have enums? Um, I don't think so. No, because, because, uh, I've never, I've never used enums or really heard of them before I've been, I've, I've seen them, uh, in the TypeScript documentation and I I know enums kind of is very, is a pretty powerful or well-known concept from Java and other backend languages. Yeah, I remember it from my C++ days, yeah. Right, right. So it was it was really hard for me to understand what enums are um, <clears throat> because so the docu- documentation basically said something about you know I read the first two lines and I couldn't really understand what it's supposed to mean and the first two lines are um, let, me, let me just read them real quick. <clears throat> It's like enums allow us to define a set of named constants. Using enums can make it easier to document intent or create a set of distinct cases. And there is so much information in there. And at the same time, and, 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 and there are so many words that at first I didn't really understand what they were supposed to mean. Because also, uh, the first thing where it says it's you can f- define a set of named constants, I was like, why do I want to? Like I can already, I have the const keyword. I can, mm-hmm. I can use, I can use in TypeScript. I can use, um, I can, I can have a, a JavaScript object. Well, first of all, I can create a JavaScript. Uh, I can create a TypeScript interface that defines a shape of a of a JavaScript object, and I can put <clears throat> my constant into that object. I've been doing that all the time. You know, like I don't understand why I need that other thing. And yeah, and actually, that's a really good point because when you read that, like trying to not think about what I know about it, right. it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, like it doesn't explain well enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What it's even for, or why? Yeah, you you would exactly. basically have all those questions. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's written by somebody who knows what enums are. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> who has used them before? Like An enum expert. Time, yeah, and, yeah it, something like that. You know. I mean, of course they yeah. knew, but they didn't write it for people who don't know what enums are. That's the point. I agree. Yes. Right. 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 So, so s- since so, I, it, it never, but I never really felt like nobody, you know, said, "Oh, you need to use enums here." Or I, I never got into a situation where where I was kind of forced from uh, from outside forces to use enums. So I just I kept ignoring it, and then every time I asked somebody. Uh, what is the enums? What are they for? And then people would t- typically just tell me, "Oh, it's like it's enumerate, it's enumerations. It's if you have a you know a bunch of things <laughs> or something like that." <laughs> I was like, uh, and I was like, "What? Yeah. Uh, like, what? Am I stupid? I don't understand. Like, what are you t- telling me here? Is it's an array? Like, and then at the same time, also uh, in TypeScript, typically." The things you know, like uh, in TypeScript, we use TypeScript to to create types that are then removed after compilation, and they're not in the JavaScript. And it, and and enums are something that are they're a, a data data structure as well as a type. 
And yeah. that was also confusing me because why does TypeScript now give you some give me something to store values in? I don't understand. Like, how does that work? Like, isn't TypeScript to be it's supposed to be uh, uh, compiled away? And um, so those were the thoughts that were going through my head that made me completely made me keep ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it. and then <clears throat> yeah, and then. Um, I don't know how it happened, but there was uh, at some point I kept it kept bugging me that I don't understand what enums are, and then I started, and I think people, yeah, and people at my job were like, "Oh yeah, enums, blah blah," but still couldn't didn't explain it to me properly, mm -hmm. so I, I could understand it, but they used it, and then and I started looking into it some more, and then at some point I started finally to. Uh, to understand what enums are and uh <clears throat> and i i started to understand the uh the uh documentation and everything and i wrote a little blog post uh to break it down for somebody for like i wrote the blog post that i would have needed in order to understand enums. <laughs> <laughs> i have to read that because it's it's like i've used them i i knew at some point quite well what they're for but i right. haven't used them probably in 10 years uh -huh. so because that's i think at least right. so right now if you would ask me to explain it i would come up with something similar silly let's say yeah it's a it's a list or a set of of constants that you can use but that, yeah. that's kind of where it ends i'm like oh, <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> right so, so what, what is so, so how this case or how did you explain it if you could like summarize yeah so so how i would explain it it is it's a it's a it's it's a way for you to group uh constants into logic kind of groups it, or let's say it's a convenient way to do that because there's other ways to do it but they're less convenient if you want typing so right. so uh, i think typing is the main part here right is that you have I mean, right. in, in compiled languages, at least, you have the ability to make sure at compile time that something's going to work. Um, yeah. And I guess with TypeScript, it's similar. It can give you safety, right? Yes, exactly. It gives you yep. type safety. And so and uh, enums do a whole bunch of things. So, for instance, let's say you have a, a bunch of constants that are directions. Or in our case, for instance, uh, I just used enums to... Uh, for for uh, a component to basically um, to store some some um, constants that it, like a certain property can have, like there was orientation uh, which could be like horizontal and vertical, and then there was another one. But for instance, those like horizontal like the orientation right can be horizontal and vertical. So you have these two options. So you can make mm -hmm. an e so those belong together logically, right. right? So you can make an enum that's called horizontal uh, that's called um, orientation, mm -hmm. and it has and it can have those two constants. You can group those two constants in it, which is vertical and horizontal, and then. Right. Um, and so it, TypeScript does a bunch of things at the same time with this. So, so now when, once you do this, you have a type called orientation and, um, and that type 
then can have these two values, horizontal or vertical. And yep. so, so now you have type safety. If you, if you, ex, you can basically say, okay, this function needs to return something of the type of that enum. And then if you return something else, it will yell at you or, um, exactly, yeah, right. And also, what it, what one thing that it does very well, which also in this first sentence where it says it makes easier to document intent. And I think that makes sense too. Like it documents what you're trying to do. It gives you more information. It makes your code more readable. It is kind yep. of, uh, it's it's a data structure that that gives you a type, but also helps you to make your uh, your code easier to read and your program better to understand, basically. And it's 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 this weird thing because it's something that you don't have to use ever really, but it. It just is. It's like a convenience thing, where it does a few things at the same time in a in a very succinct succinct manner, like very terse. Because when you say when you when you define the enum um, orientation and you set and you say okay, there it has two two members. Those me members are vertical or horizontal. What the enum in TypeScript at least does it assigns those members values automatically and those values right. start at zero and then just get incremented so you have yep. distinct they definitely have different values and then you can use them in your code you can say orientation dot vertical like if mm -hmm. uh, orientation equal e equals 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 or uh, orientation orientation dot val um, vertical for instance do something in with your code so you can test for those values and what's interesting with enums too is that if you say If you um, so if you uh, if you access the value so if you if you use orientation dot member name vertical for instance it will return the value it was assigned so zero or if you as explicitly uh, assign it a, str a string <coughs> it will return that string but if you uh, you can also go the other way around and you can say horizontal I mean, sorry, orientation, and then access the name of the member through the value. If you know the value, mm -hmm, but you right. don't know the name, you can get the name. So, and right. there's an actually it actually compiles to something in into into an object in JavaScript that allows you to do the same uh, same thing. So, um, and then at the same time, then in TypeScript, it also allows you if you know that you never have to do that, you can also just have. Um, it compiles itself completely away, and the and the and only the values actually stay in the JavaScript code, so you don't have any cruft or anything. So it's uh, it makes it a little bit more performant if if that's a concern of yours. But yeah. I think, but yeah, but I think that's um, I think it, documenting intent is one of the biggest things that enums do. Like they make your code read more readable, and they do. Um, help you to or give you the the possibility to group these constants into these logical groups in a nice uh, terse way and it's at the same time give you types so there's, there's just like this data construct that, that does so many things at the same time uh, it's a convenience mm -hmm. method basically a yeah convenience and i construct. think along along the lines of you know it um the, the intent thing it, it also helps you out in your in your ide and that's where i really miss this this concept because I have this, I use this, I do this all day long, right? I have, I have a, I don't know, a parameter to something that takes 
I don't know, one of three values. And then inside of that, in order to check what I'm, to make sure that it's not garbage that's coming in, I have to then set up a thing like val- an array of valid parameters, and then oh, I have to check yeah, and see yeah. if it's inside of that, right? Mm-hmm. And the the thing that's even worse that if I want to use that method or that function, and I don't know what the values need to be, I have to then go and read the code because there's no type to specify what the options are. Mm-hmm. So that's even worse, right? And and so you yeah. make a typo in one of them, and you're screwed. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's nice all around. So yeah, nice that there's maybe some something in in PHP that simulates it. Or, well, but um, isn't there um, isn't that hack language or whatever it's called from Facebook supposed to be? Um, they made a version of PHP that's PHP that's typed. It probably does that. Yeah, yeah. I'm so guessing. I mean, their their PHP is actually moving more and more um, towards type hinting and and the the ability to to specify. Um, types everywhere so i mean it we're we're, it's to the point now where you can i I, this sounds weird but it's for php people it's like a big deal you can you can specify the return type of a method i Mm -hmm. mean that's like something so basic but yes you can do that and and you know you um you therefore have now a tool chain in place to tell you at development time whether your stuff is going to crap out or not which is really nice Mm -hmm. um so before it was like yeah whatever comes back comes back you know um Mm -hmm. so you can do that with pretty much everything every every parameter you now that you pass to a method or a function you can do the same thing which is was not at all the case um and um a lot of people they 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 sort of they don't like that but Mm -hmm. i think in the grand scheme of things especially when you have multiple devs and you have, you know, these IDEs that support you, it's just so much easier that you know what you're dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, we've been down that rabbit hole many times. But yeah, that's it's one of the things that I think I would like about TypeScript a lot. Um, and I think also, remembering our interview with Jafar Hussein, one of the main reasons why Microsoft came up with it in the first place is yeah. To, yeah. to sanity in large projects, right? That yeah, become exactly. unmaintainable. Yeah, it seems like um, if you use PHP for for larger projects like like you're doing, uh, ha- not having types is yeah is yeah I ha- I have a guy a weakness that is absolutely that is very much um, he doesn't like PHP too much but he writes good PHP code and mm-hmm. he he is very much on the uh, you know type all the things mm-hmm. and yeah, be yeah. very very explicit and don't you know don't let, leave things to right. interpretation and chance and you know because so yeah definitely senior developer yeah exactly (laughs) he's the guy doing refactoring (laughs) right right it's very good very good it's gonna be good (laughs) cool yeah anyway that's that's uh that's awesome i mean this is another one of those things i think where you had to you you had your aha moment and then you wrote it down and you probably understood it even better right so that's yeah one of benefits yeah. of, of writing something about it so and, and i already got some and i already got some feedback from other developers that also like so i because i posted it on instagram and uh this guy he who follows me there he he read it and he's also front-end developer and he also said like yeah i've used it before and i didn't really understand now i understand it so it's awesome. <laughs> exactly so great. yeah it's exactly <laughs> what i was trying to to get Fantastic. at it. I got some good feedback nice. on it as well, as well. So hopefully you'll remember better than I did <laughs> because uh, you wrote about it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely I think because for me it's not it's because for me it's such it's still foreign, you know, like I'm a JavaScript yeah. developer and and it's a it's a foreign thing, so I will always look at it as this as this thing, you know, this construct that just combines a bunch of things in one and gives me yeah. like is a convenience thing for this. And I think that for for people who who learned a backend or a language that has enums pretty early, like the one of the first languages, then they get so used to it that they can't like they just use it all the time and it's mm-hmm. but they they don't understand why it why it's good to have it or you know yeah. versus not having it or what actually the benefits are because right i think you're it's you're so right ingrained going through, going through the pain of not having it and then yeah. getting this tool handed to you it's like yeah. holy crap you know but it, if it was yeah. always there it's like yeah whatever that's how yeah. we do it <laughs> yeah, exactly that's just how it yeah. is i mean yeah. i noticed that that's how it's for me for stuff that's in javascript like that people didn't have, or if they, and people find that out or whatever. And I, I have no example, but I, but I, I've been through similar things where I think having that perspective of not having it and then having it, yeah, that, that definitely helps to remember. Uh, mm. yep. yeah. yeah, cool. Cool, nice. Oh, we're almost out of time, but maybe we can squeeze something in real quick. Yeah, um, I definitely have some more to talk about. Okay. Um, so I've been I've been working on this little uh, command line interface, little CLI tool to uh, to to um, to have Git shortcuts for specific things that I do very often uh, mm-hmm. in projects. So, for instance, what I what I what I do very often is that I commit. I, like I'm working on a feature branch or something, or maybe a personal project on a develop branch or whatever. And all I want to do is commit my current state because maybe I want to switch to a different branch or I'm stopping the work or taking a break or whatever. Commit everything mm-hmm. and then push it to the server right away. And right. I don't really care that much maybe of the about the commit message, but maybe I do. So I don't have. So I have to, you know, add everything, commit, and then push to origin, and and then, um, yeah. So that is one of the things that I wanted to have just one command for, right? Just one command to just that just does all three things. Like I give, I have one command, then pa- and passes a message if I wanted, if I want to have a specific commit commit message and it will commit everything that's staged or unstaged will just stage everything commit everything and then push it to the server and i don't yeah and that's all and then there's um some other things i do that a lot too can i have this yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing then the, then the other thing is um i always have to look up how to rename my local and my remote branch. So if I have to rename a branch, it's uh-huh. called blah, and it needs to be called blah three, right? <laughs> um, then I have to, so I always have to look it up. So now uh-huh. I, I have a convenience uh-huh. function that just does it. But since I have to pro, I had to program it, I, I can't, I remember now how to do it manually. But <laughs> so what you typically have yeah. to do is you have to say git branch dash dash move or dash M and then uh, type the new name of the branch that will rename yeah. your local branch. 
And then you have to delete your remote branch with that had the current name, like that had the blah name. It's, and that's, that's and how you delete. I also had to look that up too, is you git push colon branch name. Yes. I always have to look right. that you part to, up. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. It's annoying, right? <laughs> and then, and you don't do it often enough so that it kind of just goes into your uh, muscle memory, right? So you always yes, have to exactly. look it up. And then... Yep. And then you push your current your new branch up to the server. So now you have the new name up to the server as well. Uh-huh. And I have now a convenience method or convenience call on the terminal that just does all three steps in one. Right? So you just Sweet. say Yeah, it's just a so uh, so so the tool's called Belly. And it's called Belly because because <laughs> um <laughs> because I came to that name because I was lo- looking for a name and the clearest most direct name would be git shortcuts, right? But git shortcuts right. is super long. So I, I said, okay, <laughs> G cuts, right? Or guts. <laughs> belly, okay. <laughs> and, and guts was a little gross. So, yeah. I, so I went to belly, so it's belly. Nice. Right? You have to put that in the readme though, because <laughs> people will scratch their head. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but it's a cool origin story. Anyway. That is nice. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so it's so this, of course, is, is Node, right? And it's just, I'm yeah, assuming, yeah, you can yeah. just npm install it, just a global Sweet. install. And then in your repository, for instance, for the commit and push, you just say belly c, which is commit and push. It's yeah. just, I just have, you know, I try to keep it short. Belly c just does a generic commit, it will just say belly auto commit in your commit message and commit everything and push. And then uh, the rename is just belly N and then you pass the name of the, of the new branch and it will do all the renaming local and remote. And then there is, um, let me see. Um, I have another one that's pretty cool. Um, oh, the one is also tag your branch and push the tag, mm-hmm. which we also, Yes, I have to every flipping time look that up too. Right, right, right. So that's just (laughs) belly T and then the version number that you want to tag it with. Mm -hmm. And we'll tag it. We'll tag it. We'll do an annotated tag. We'll just put the version number as the tag and the annotation is also the version number. And just push that follow tags to the server. And then there's also, uh, oh yeah, a cool convenience function is if you just want to switch to a different branch, so there is there is different types of switching. So there's the switching where you just switch to last branch, which is git checkout dash that just switches you. Like if you were in master before and you're now uh-huh. in develop and you type in git checkout dash, it will switch you back to master. And oh, if, nice. Yeah. And if you if you type git checkout dash again, it will switch you back to your the branch that you were before. <laughs> So you can go back forth, back forth, and uh-huh. so and then sometimes. So sometimes you want to do that. Sometimes you want to switch to a branch that already exists, right? Right. Let's just get checkout branch name, and sometimes mm-hmm. you want to check out in a brand brand new branch, right? Yeah. So I so so belly s for switch does all these three things. Depending, oh, it doesn't care what it yeah, doesn't it give a fuck. It exactly, it's like <laughs> if you should, if you just say belly s, it will just do the switch to last, right? Uh-huh. But if you say belly s branch name, it will switch to the branch name if it exists, 
or it will check out a new branch and switch to it if it doesn't exist. Nice. Right? Nice. The thing that comes to mind here is like Gitflow and, and similar things. But exactly. I think the the nice thing is like you have your own like limited set of things that you want exactly the way you need them, <laughs> which well, is cool. And now you became an expert on these, um, <laughs> on these handful of commands. Yeah. yeah, I know. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, because it was just annoying me that I had to look up these things. Because we, yeah. we used Git, we used Git flow, but we, used, we switched to GitHub flow. But mm -hmm. all these things I needed for Git flow, and I need them for yeah. GitHub flow as well. One thing also is that we always rebase and we always squash. Like if, if you mm -hmm. have, if you have a feature branch, Uh, you rebase, master onto it, and then in the end, when when you're finally done, everything is reviewed, and you you're ready to merge. Before you do that, you do a one last squash. So it's just one commit containing all your changes for that feature. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's there's this there's two ways to do it. There's a way where you say git rebase interactive. Uh, so dash I for interactive, and then you get the list of commits, and then you can decide. Okay, I want to squash this one. I don't want this i don't i want to take out this one or keep this one like you can do that right or just go through yeah. and squash them all and it will all be squashed into one commit um or what you can also do you can just say git reset dash dash soft master mm. and what that does it does a reset to master but it will keep all your changes in the what is called the work workspace or whatever it's called yeah Right, yeah. so they will be un they will be unstaged, uncommit. I think unstaged changes or maybe staged. Mm -hmm. And then you can just go ahead and commit, just add all commit and make a new commit, and then you have everything squashed. Yeah. So there's a belly convenience method basically <laughs> to just do that. So all you do I will is definitely look at this. This is so awesome. It's really funny too because I had this conversation earlier this week with one of my team leads about how can we teach the team more sophisticated Git stuff? Because I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm, well, not sort of, I am guilty of this as well, is that I learned Git as well as I just needed to, mm -hmm. to get by. And then I sort of plateaued and Everybody it was, does. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's like there is, um, it's really, and then you just, because of exactly the scenario that you tried to solve here is because you, you don't need them often enough Yep. To, to script this stuff out for yourself mm -hmm. because it's like, yeah, you know, it's every now and then, but it's every freaking time. It's annoying that you have to go and re like yeah. relearn the thing. And some of them exactly. are like really nasty. So yeah. you have to actually spend quite a bit of time to figure it out again. Yeah. Oh, so the docs, <laughs> the docs are really hard to read They're or confusing. it's hard to yeah, find yeah. something specific. Because uh, exactly. they they contain so much information, but it's yeah. really easy because there are so many granular little functions. It's easy to just put them together in these convenience functions, and and yeah. and nobody has does it has has done it before. I mean, people have their Git aliases or whatever, but I thought it would be cool exactly, to have yeah. Yeah. to have this little uh, command line interface just for these these things that keep popping up, keep popping up that I yeah. use often enough but not often enough to really have them memorized. And then also some of them are just too much typing. You know, why do you have to do yeah. all this typing? You know? <laughs> yes. mm. For lazy people. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so no, I mean, that's, this is awesome. You 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 solved several problems, right? You yeah, you uh, exactly. you made it faster for yourself, and you learned. Yeah. Um, and, some I'm, and I'm already which is using awesome. it. I'm already using it while yeah. I'm developing the tool. I was already <clears> using it. I just had it <laughs> locally linked, and, and it was cool. Awesome. Like I like, and and I really do now. Every time I have this problem one of these problems that I need to solve with Git, I'm just like, ah, I have my belly function. I just do belly dap, <laughs> and it works. It's great. Um, I'm curious what, when you, well, you, it is out in the wild, I guess it's already on GitHub, but what, what kind of stuff people will like propose or want to open pull requests for, you know? Yeah, totally. Like, I, have to, I have this problem. Can we do this please? <laughs> I was already thinking about, I was already thinking about maybe a plugin system for it. Where you know how there is, um, you can have like a config file, and then people can create their npm packages mm -hmm. with like just their convenience function, and then mm -hmm. the config file, the belly config file, oh, will just look at the yeah. list of those uh, uh, of those plugin names, and will then npm install them uh, nice. automatically. That would be cool. Yeah. There's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of little apps that do that. Um, that have a config file and look at a list like an array of names and just npm install them internally somehow and then and then you and then you have a plugin installed. And then mm, this that, reminds me of a little text editor with a very short name uh, <laughs> that you can customize however you want to. Vim. Right, right. Vim. Yeah. <laughs> this is very cool because you can keep your own core of things without having all that other stuff if you don't want it. But right. if you want to have that, you can just add that one thing, which mm -hmm. is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool nice. system. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it makes <laughs> sense for this. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll definitely give it a give it a spin. Yeah, give sure. it a whirl. I, I'm. It's not. I still have to finish. I think uh, just a few things and clean up a little bit. But um, it's already mm -hmm. on GitHub. You can already. I don't think I pushed the latest version to npm yet. But I'll. I'll just. I'll let you know. And cool. uh, as soon as it's like, uh, as soon as the the latest uh, version is up, I'll tell you, and then you can try it out. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Really awesome. <clears throat> it's such a great. I I know we gotta we gotta wrap it up, but this yeah. is such a great like this small contained side project, right? It's not yeah. like some insurmountable thing. It's a little mm -hmm. utility that you probably can knocked out in a few days, right? And it's yeah. like it's fun. It's, it's fun. just fun and, and it's, it's useful. Yeah, really useful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It solves a yeah. problem. That's always the best, you know. If you have that's great. Fantastic. <laughs> Alrighty. Alrighty. Um, so just a quick note. So um, for our listeners, we are going to move, uh, we're moving our chat to uh, from Slack to Spectrum chat, which is uh, just a little bit more. It's very similar to Slack, I would say, from what I've been seeing. Um, it's a group chat. It looks really nice. It's some very cool people behind it. And um uh, but it's more suitable for the type of thing that our community is because it's made for communities. And if you have a public spectrum chat, then people can, anybody can join. So we don't need a, a hack for it like we need for Slack. And um, what's cool about that too is that um, everything that's posted in there is linkable. So you get, you can have a link and link to that stuff, um, which I think is nice. And then there's also, um, everything will be searchable forever. So you don't have a limitation like we have in Slack right now. And it really does not make any sense for us to pay for a proper Slack workspace or whatever. Like, so, um, 
So there's a bunch of these reasons. It's just tailored for little communities, Spectrum Chat. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite everybody from the Slack chat to come over to the Spectrum Chat. So uh, it's you can find it at spectrum.chat slash reactivepod. And, um, and yeah, and hopefully... Um, Everybody who's interested will will come over and we'll 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 try to to re revive our reactive yes, chat. Now I was that, just gonna say <laughs> now that we restarted the podcast after yeah. that hard hit that uh, Raquel left us. So <laughs> yep, yeah, very so nice. That's what we're gonna do. All right, so cool. um, thanks for listening to the Reactive Podcast. You can find the show notes at reactive.audio if you want to join our lovely community. As I said, online, join us at spectrum.chat slash reactivepod. You can also reach us on Twitter at reactivepod, and you can reach me at Khalil Tweets and Henning at hgladogots. Um, that's it for today. See you next week. All right, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.